You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Whew. The scandal of grace, you died in my place. Do you hear what we were singing this morning? Well, good morning, North Valley. Good morning. morning. Oh, good. You guys had some coffee already. Awesome. Hey, we're continuing in this series, 40 Days with Jesus. And so I, my prayer is that you have been transformed by this series. I hope you're uh, taking advantage of the daily devotionals that have been written and provided for you. If you've missed any of the messages or the devotionals, everything's online for you, either at northvalleychurch.org or if you're on your uh, Version Bible app, um, everything is there. And you, uh, on the website, you can click on resources at the top and click on messages. Everything's there. Let me review a little bit of where we've been. And so week one of the series, we talked about his birth, my birth. The big idea being being a Christian means you get a new life. Thank you, Jesus. Week number two, we talked about his baptism, my baptism, about how baptism is a public proclamation of one's faith in Jesus. Week three, we talked about his temptation, my temptation, and how we need to trust God's words and his ways because he always knows a way out. Uh, Week four, his ministry, my ministry, and how we need to make more room in our lives for ministry. And we're going to talk about a little bit about more of that today. Uh, Week five was his forgiveness, my forgiveness. Powerful message about forgiving is living. And today, week six, we land on his sacrifice, my sacrifice. And don't miss the next couple of weeks with Pastor Ryan and Pastor Jonathan with his resurrection, my resurrection, and his mission, my mission. And so let me tell you this story. There was 11 people. They're at the top of Mount Everest. They had been climbing. And this group kind of slipped off the mountain. And there's 11 people hanging from this rope on this little outcropping of the mountain and barely hanging on, the little outcropping's about to give way. Eleven people hanging on a rope. Ten were blondes and one was a brunette. Some of you know where I'm going with this. All of them were about to die. One of them needed to let go to save the other ten. One of them needed to make the ultimate sacrifice, but there's silence. And then the brunette gave this inspiring, powerful word and how she would make the ultimate sacrifice and let go of the rope and the 10 blondes applauded. (laughs) Sorry if you're blonde in the room. Um, No, but seriously. We live in a world where sacrifices are made every day, especially in light of this last Monday with it being Memorial Day and and thinking about sacrifice. And so I posted this question on social media. I wrote, when you think of sacrifice, who do you think of? Why? What's the greatest sacrifice you personally have made for someone else? Or or what sacrifice, what's been the greatest sacrifice ever been made on your behalf? All kinds of comments. People talked about of course, with Memorial Day, about a family, family members who had died in combat over the different wars over the years. People talked about soldiers sacrificing their lives right now over in the Middle East. People mentioned moms 
moms, making sacrifices every day for their, for their children, dads making huge sacrifices for their families, teachers making huge financial sacrifices to continue to teach in our schools, missionaries making sacrifices with their lives and, and, and their money overseas and even in the U.S., husbands sacrificing for wives and wives sacrificing for husbands. For me personally, when I think of sacrifice, I think of my mom and dad. Still alive today, both 77 years old, Daryl and Beverly Deal. I'm telling you, I would not be any of the man I am today. I mean, first, because of the power of the Holy Spirit in my life since giving my life to him at age seven, but second, by the, the godly modeling and upbringing of my parents. But if when I think about ultimate sacrifice, ultimate sacrifice, I think of people like my wife Dina's uncle, Junior, as they called him. Army First Lieutenant Honorio Fidel Jr., who at age 25, who was killed in the Central Highlands of South Vietnam. This old newspaper clipping here, it reads this. First Lieutenant Fidel distinguished himself by heroism on August 9, 1967, while flying artillery forward observer on a reconnaissance mission in the Songro Valley. When the lead ship of the two-ship team came under heavy hostile automatic weapons fire, Lieutenant Fidel, with complete disregard for his own personal safety, began taking the hostile force under fire with his own personal weapon, at the same time calling for artillery support. When the lead aircraft received such heavy fire that it was downed, Lieutenant Fidel's aircraft flew into the area to give cover. And as it did, Lieutenant Fidel placed devastating fire on that area. At that time, his aircraft was shot down and crashed, killing all aboard. It was later on December 7th, his widow and young son, my wife's aunt and cousin, received three medals on his behalf, the Purple Heart, the Distinguished Flying Cross, and the Bronze Star. The Bronze Star cited him for his exceptional knowledge of artillery techniques, resourcefulness, and initiative in rendering close-in, accurate, and timely fire support in every instance. Lieutenant Fidel's devotion to duty, professional competence, and indomitable spirit were the highest traditions of the military service. Uncle Junior, who didn't even have to enlist because he was the only son in his family, and who never met his own son. These telegrams here are dated August 11th, 1967, when the army informed of him being missing in action. And then again on August 17th, six days later, when his remains were recovered. Sacrifice. Ultimate sacrifice. Here's the best definition of sacrifice. It is the destruction or surrender of something for the sake of something else. But more importantly, it is the, the destruction or surrender of something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. Like as we've been singing about all morning, Jesus, who paid the ultimate sacrifice. Watch this. Hey, get him up there! Come on, 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 come on,
from there. <laughs> Leave him! <laughs> Father! Father! Forgive them. For they know not what they do. is just, but this man has done nothing wrong. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I say to you, today, you will be with me in paradise. is your son. John, this is your mother. My God. My God. Why have you forsaken me? gruesome. Turn with me in your Bibles, or go on your Bible app to Luke chapter 23, verses 26 to 49. Our big idea today is this, Jesus paid it all. What are we paying? He paid it all. Let's first look at his sacrifice in Luke chapter 23 here, and then we'll talk about my sacrifice, your sacrifice. So start with me, Luke 23, starting in verse 26. Number one, Jesus would die on a cross. It says, as they led him away, they seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, and they laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. There's a reason he couldn't carry his own cross. See, from, the, from Thursday night before, 12 hours, about 9 p.m. Thursday, till about 9 a.m. Friday morning, Jesus had suffered great emotional stress. In the Garden of Gethsemane, it talks about it being so stressful, he sweat blood. It's a condition called hematidrosis. He had been abandoned by his closest friends, his very own disciples. He had underwent a physical beating where he was blindfolded and spat on and repeatedly punched in the face. 
a very traumatic and sleepless night. He'd been forced to walk more than two and a half miles from the different sites and the different trials, not to mention the brutal scourging or flogging that he endured. Where he was stripped naked and his hands were tied to an upright post and two Roman soldiers with full force whipped his back and his legs with this short whip called a flagellum. A flagellum had several single or braided leather thongs and tied to it were were sharp iron balls and pieces of of sheep bone. And the iron balls would would cause deep contusions in the flesh. And the sheep bones would cut into the skin and the subcutaneous tissues. The lacerations would tear down clear into the muscles, producing quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. The pain and the blood loss would lead to shock. Many of you have seen the the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. Have you seen that movie? Actor Jim Caviezel, in the filming of that scene, just one of those leather thongs went over the safety shield and got him. 14-inch gash through his back. In his testimony about it, he says, I went down like in a football game when you get the wind knocked out of you. I saw God. The severity of the scourging weakened Jesus to a state just sort of collapse or even death. And then it didn't end there. Then they began to mock him by placing a robe on his shoulders, a crown of thorns on his head, a wooden staff as a scepter in his right hand. And then they spat on him. And then they took the staff and beat him in the head with it. We read in other places in Scripture where Jesus' scourging was extra and more particularly harsh. Jesus was already in shock before he ever voluntarily climbed onto that cross. The hematidrosis made his skin tender, the physical and mental abuse, the lack of food all night and water all night and no sleep put him in this weakened state. Even before his actual crucifixion, he was already in what we today would call critical condition. Jesus paid it all. What are we paying? Number two, Jesus would warn of a future worse than his own crucifixion. If you're following along in your notes on your program, verse 28, but turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? You see, seeing him on his way to be executed, many gathered around, especially women, along the way to mourn and to weep and to wail in their grief, but here Jesus is grieving. He's saying, don't weep for me. He says, weep for yourselves. He knew that in about 40 years, they would face great suffering and would then mourn and weep and wail. For at that time, Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed by the Romans. A time so difficult, it'd be a blessing not to have had children. A punishment so great that people would want the mountains and the hills to fall on them and kill them. Number three, Jesus would be crucified with criminals. We read in verse 32, two others who were criminals were led led away to be put to death with him. 
And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. You see, all three of them were led out to be executed to this place called the skull or Golgotha. Or a more familiar term for you might be Calvary. Calvary comes from the Latin word calvaria, meaning cranium or skull. A very prominent place, a public place, right outside the city walls so everybody could witness what was happening. Luke's words here are direct, but we've got to understand the full meaning of that one word, crucified. Crucifixion was a hellish method of killing. It caused the greatest possible amount of pain to the victim before their inevitable death. It was instituted by the Romans. Crucifixion was a feared and shameful form of execution. It was designed to prolong the gruesome pain. The nailing of the wrists and feet would have increased the pain, but also quickened the death from the blood loss. Death would come from suffocation as the person would lose strength and the weight of their body would not allow them to continue breathing. It was the harshest form of capital punishment known in the world at the time. That was his sacrifice. Number four, Jesus would utter a cry of forgiveness on the cross. Verse 34 says, And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Jesus spoke very few times from the cross. But this was the very first thing he uttered. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. His very reason for dying in the first place refers most likely to the Jews, but probably also to the Roman soldiers, although all who participated were included in his prayer. Because you see, the Jews had made a serious mistake. They failed to realize God's plan for their nation. And we read here that people stood around watching, some sorrowful, others sneered. The rulers who had followed Jesus to the execution site had watched him be crucified, and now they're sneering at him. You see, their false assumption was if he was truly God, if he was the Messiah as he claimed, he'd be able to save himself. To them, Jesus was obviously not the Messiah. But oh, were they wrong. See, unfortunately, they missed the fact that this entire episode had been prophesied clear back in Psalm 22, and everything was proceeding exactly how God had planned it. I believe these are the 10 most amazing words ever spoken in the history of mankind. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus was suffering the most horrible, painful death ever devised by sinful man, making the ultimate sacrifice of all sacrifices. And he looked down at them and said, Father, forgive them. He prayed for their forgiveness. Jesus paid it all. What are we paying? 
Number five, Jesus would be labeled a king even at his death. Verse 38 says, there was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. You see, a signboard, or a titulus as it was called, would state the condemned person's crime, and it would be placed on the cross for all to see. But see, Jesus was never found guilty. So the only accusation they could place on his sign was him calling himself king of the Jews. Now, it it may have seemed to most onlookers that day that a poor, deluded, weak man had been executed without good reason. But on that Friday, on that Friday, a huge spiritual battle was being waged. You see, Satan rejoiced that Jesus was going to die. Satan thought he had won a sound victory. The angels in heaven, looking down on him in sorrow, held back from intervening by the very hand of God, God himself turning away from his son as all the sin of the world descended on him. But Jesus was actually the one gaining the victory. His death and resurrection would strike the death blow to Satan's rule and would establish Christ's eternal authority over the earth. Very few people, I think, understood the power of those words on that signboard, King of the Jews. Because the sign was true. Because he is King of the Jews, and the Gentiles, and the whole earth. Number six, Jesus is acknowledged to have a kingdom. Verse 39 says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus Remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Two starkly different reactions. One criminal joined the crowd, throwing taunts and insult at him. The other criminal recognized his complete innocence. One went, with his, went to his death ridiculing Jesus, and the other one woke up to the spiritual realities behind this gruesome event. The innocent, godly king, the son of God, was dying for his own sins. And Jesus forgave him, as he had forgiven everybody involved in his crucifixion. Number seven, Jesus' death was a supernatural event. We read in verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. You got to understand the impact of this. You see, it's at noon. It's the height of the day. Jesus and the two criminals have been hanging there for three hours in excruciating pain and physical agony. And this eerie darkness fell across the whole land for about three hours. The darkness was both physical and spiritual. You see, for while nature mourned, it was also the the moment when darkness reigned. And the temple curtain was torn in two. You see, the temple, it separated the most holy place from the holy place. 
You see, in the temple, there was the outer courts where everybody could go and worship. And then there was the holy place where only the priests could go. And then there was the most holy place where only the high priest could go. In the most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant sat, where they believed that's where God's presence was. And it tore in two from top to bottom. If you can imagine, 60 feet high, four inch thick, torn in two. The writer of Hebrews says, it was God's way of removing the barrier between himself and humanity. And now sinful people like you and like me could approach the holy God directly through Jesus the Christ. And from then on, God wouldn't resign in some Ark of the Covenant behind a curtain in a temple, but he would reside in his people. And lastly, number eight, Jesus had completed his Father's will. He completed the Father's will. Verse 46 says, Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their chests, it says. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. The fact that Jesus even had a loud voice at this point is a miracle. But these were his very last words from the cross in committing his spirit to the Father, and then he died. And I know there's lots of controversy out there about whether he was really dead or not. Controversy around the resurrection. Well, here's where I put my pharmacist hat, my medical hat on. You see, crucifixion is one of the most disgraceful and cruel methods of execution. At the side of the crucifixion, his wrists were nailed to the crossbar, which was then lifted onto the upright post, his feet being nailed to the post. In an article called On the Physical Death of Jesus Christ in in JAMA, back in the 80s, I read this. It says, the major pathophysiological effect of the crucifixion was interference with normal respirations. You see, adequate exhaling required lifting the body by pushing up on his nailed feet and rotating on his wrists to get a breath. His scourged back scraping against the rough wooden post, every breath becoming more and more agonizing and tiring and finally would die of asphyxia or suffocation. Hypovolemic shock. Crucifixion is, in every sense of the word, excruciating. Excruciating comes from the Latin term excruciatus, meaning out of the cross. His death, after only a few hours, was then ensured when the soldier thrust his spear into his side. Listen, medical modern interpretation of the historical evidence shows that Jesus was indeed dead when he was taken from that cross. And then there's the centurion, the Gentile centurion, the head Roman soldier in charge of his execution, mocking him earlier, now seeing what happened. The lights came on. 
he realized this is no ordinary person. Understanding something that most of the Jewish nation had missed. He understood that Jesus was innocent. He didn't deserve what had happened. Yet he did it with all dignity and courage, even words of forgiveness. The crowd, it says, went home in deep sorrow. All of his family and his friends could hardly believe what had just happened. He was dead. I love what uh, theologian, author, and pastor R.C. Sproul says. He says, the most obscene symbol in human history is the cross. Yet in its ugliness, it remains the most eloquent testimony to human dignity. That was his sacrifice. Of course, next week we'll talk about the resurrection. But what about my sacrifice? What about yours? Jesus paid it all. What are we paying? Jesus died for the sins of the world, yes, and he rose again, yes, so that we can be forgiven and be saved and have eternal life and live resurrected lives. The gospel is our only message, amen? But you can't spell the word gospel without go. And so we have to go. As believers, as Christians, our eternal life is now. Our resurrected lives are to be lived now. And see, Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul's not making a suggestion here. If you look in the original language, this is a very authoritative, commanding appeal here to the brothers, meaning all believers, to sacrifice themselves to God. Not like a dead sacrifice, like they were used to in the, in the Mosaic law, requiring to put dead animals on an altar and sacrifice them, but a living sacrifice. And so how do we consecrate ourselves? How do we give ourselves to God as a living sacrifice? How do we in practical bodily form, surrender or destroy something prized or desirable for the sake of something considered as having a higher or more pressing claim. Well, see, Paul also talked about it in Romans 6, when he said, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. And in chapter 8, Paul wrote, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. He says, so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live accordingly to the flesh, but for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the spirit but if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, Paul says. God don't need no dead sacrifices. He's done with that. That ended with Jesus. 
God wants living sacrifices. Our bodies are what we have to present. We live in our bodies. Our body enfolds our emotions and our minds and and our thoughts and our desires and our plans. The body represents the total person. It's the instrument Scripture talks about here by which we serve and bring our service to God. In order to live for God, we got to offer Him all that we are represented by our body. If our body's at God's disposal, He'll have our time, and He'll have our talent, and He'll have our treasure. You see, our new life in Christ is a thank offering to God. Paul says here, by the mercies of God. We've been singing about grace all morning. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Anybody else thankful for that? Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. If we got what we deserved, we wouldn't have a body to present. Offering our body as a living sacrifice is holy and acceptable, it says here. To be a holy sacrifice, to be, to be completely set apart for God and dedicated to His service, that's what's acceptable. Paul says here, it's your spiritual worship. That Greek word there for worship, latria, it literally means service. The word for spiritual there, logikos, which also means reasonable. Paul's saying this is a very reasonable, rational, intelligent thing to do. That's what God gave us our body for. He didn't give us this body. Some of you would probably want a different one, but... He didn't give us this just to, you know, house our bones and our muscles and our organs and our brain and our stomach. That's a lot of housing. Um, our blood vessels are, you know. He gave it to us so we could put it to use for his service. Jesus paid it all. What are we paying? What does a living sacrifice look like practically in a bodily sense today, right now? At your church, at North Valley Community Church, what would that look like? Well, Pastor Ryan wanted me to present to you the three T's, time, talent, and treasure. Because first, I can give my time. I know time is a very precious commodity. Is there anybody in the room that could not use a little more time? But that's why here at North Valley, we have very limited programs allowing you time to worship God, serve God, and live in biblical community. You see, we need to be in ministry, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We, we, we've been created for ministry. Read about that in Ephesians 2. We've been saved for ministry in 2 Timothy. We've been called into ministry in Galatians and 1 Peter. We've been gifted for ministry in 1 Peter 4. We've been authorized for ministry in Matthew 28. We've been commanded to minister in Matthew 20. We've been prepared for it in Ephesians 4. The body of Christ needs our ministry. We're accountable for our ministry in Matthew 25 and Romans 14, and we will be rewarded for our ministry. Do you have one? We can offer our time. We can offer our talent. I can offer my talent. You see, our our spiritual gifts and our personalities and the skills we know and our experiences that we have and our education and our personal styles, they all contribute to help... Help us get plugged into us, onto Team North Valley in the place that fits you best. In the place that fits you best. And we're committed to helping you identify those things, your passions and your style, and then determining how to apply them, how to get on Team North Valley. 
As Pastor Jonathan mentioned earlier, go check out our classes. NorthValleyChurch.org slash classes. And start that progression of those. Go check out our ministries at NorthValleyChurch.org slash ministries. Team North Valley is all explained there. There are 10 sub-teams that you can be on on Team North Valley. There's worship production and the band and, and North Valley kids and facilities and outreach and guest services and communications and administration and the security team and the new parking and, and traffic team out there. Offer, you can offer your talent. You can offer your time. You can offer your talent. And last, you can offer your treasure. Oh, now everyone's getting squirmy. Here he goes. See, at North Valley, and you heard Pastor Jonathan say this, we believe you give to God first, you save second, and you live on the rest. That's just not some mantra we say. We really believe that. Randy Alcorn, in his book, The Treasure Principle, he says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Because you can. There's only one thing you can take with you to heaven. There's only one, and that's people. Randy talks about in his book, there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle money. We keep trying to separate our faith from our finances, and God sees it as inseparable. And I love these six keys that he points out when it comes to our treasure. Number one, God owns everything. He owns it all. We're just his stewards. We're just managing it for him based on what his will is. Number two, our hearts always go where, you put, where we put God's money. People get this twisted all the time. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart always follows our money. If I want to know what your heart was, all I got to do is look at your bank statement. Number three, heaven, not earth, is our home. You see, where we choose to store up our treasure depends on where we think our home is. Number four, we should live not for the dot, but for the line. He talks about how our, our present life on earth is it's just a dot. It begins, it ends, it's brief. But from that dot extends a line that goes on for eternity. And he says, live for the line. Number five, he says, giving is the only antidote to materialism. So true. Giving is a joyful sacrifice to a greater person and a greater agenda. And last, he said, God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. Some of you have more money than others. God gives us more money so we can give generously and sacrificially, not increase our standard of living. Jesus paid it all. What are we paying? What is it for you? Pastor, preacher, and author, the late A.W. Tozer, he criticized this thing called easy believism by characterizing it this way, quote, I want some of your blood for the forgiveness of my sins, Jesus, but I don't have any intention of following you or obeying you. And now if you'll excuse me, I'd like to get on with my life. 
Whoa. Man, may that, may that never be us. May that never be said of North Valley. Following Jesus requires sacrifice. Every true follower of Jesus sacrifices their own will, their own plan for that of his. It costs us everything, and it's worth it. Brennan Manning said, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Man, my prayers, that would never be said of us. Not North Valley. Not you, not me. Jesus paid it all. See, here's the take-home truth for today. I am willing to take my next step in each area. Is it time? Is it talent? Or is it your treasure? Now, some of you, many of you are doing this, and thank you. You already go above and beyond. Thank you. But others in the room, I believe God is speaking to you. If it's about your time, If you're not serving on Team North Valley yet, you need to get on the team. If it's about your talent, maybe it's time to, you're already on the team, maybe it's time to step up in a leadership role or take on more responsibility or maybe move to a team that fits you better. And if it's your treasure, listen, stop tipping God. Give. Or maybe you're giving and you need to move to tithing. Or maybe you're tithing, thank you, you need to move to sacrificial giving. Going above and beyond for things like our area of influence campaign or things like that. Here's what I'm asking you to do. A call to action. If that's you, if God's speaking to you about any one of these areas, time, talent, or treasure, when you came in this morning, you got a program. And at the bottom of the program, there's a connect card. If you're our guest this morning, thank you again for being here. You're going to fill that out and take it to guest services. We got a gift for you. But for the rest of y'all, just put your name on there. Put your email address or a phone number and just write the word time. Or maybe that's the area you need to grow in. Or maybe it's talent. Or maybe it's treasure. Maybe you need to write two of them. Maybe you need to write all three of them. I don't know. We are committed here to help you take that next step in whatever areas that is. His sacrifice, our sacrifice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Jesus, thank you. Jesus' words could never express our gratitude for the ultimate sacrifice you paid. Thank you, Jesus. God, thank you for sacrificing your son on our behalf. But God, our eternal life starts now. But I pray that our resurrected lives, our sacrificial living will begin now, especially here at North Valley that we call our church, our church home. So whatever it is, Holy Spirit, you speak to people. Help them take their next step. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.